1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. My name is Britton, and I am one of your co-hosts. And hello.
0: Hello, I am Jay Allen Cross. I'm one of your other co-hosts. Very excited to be here. And um, we were just talking, and Britain has some very exciting news. There's been mail, there has been miracles, and I want to hear all about it. Can you tell us what is going on in your world right now?
1: Yes, I have to get on my soapbox because it's part of an agreement I made with a saint. So I recently started working with St. Expedite because I found out his feast day is on my birthday, which is super awesome. And I'm an Aries. And I feel like St. Expedite has like this real Aries energy. It's like today, 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 you know, Mm -hmm. getting things done. And I petitioned to him. Recently for a financial situation that I had going on and the timeline for my financial situation, according to my bank and everything, was going to be like 60 plus 90 days to hear back about my financial situation. I heard back in a week and a half.
0: Yeah. Because I was
1: working with St. Expedite. He literally expedited the process. So. I just have to say. Like, if you need something done, work with Saint, expedite. The dude, like, I trusted the process and just, like, let it go. And I was, like, in full acceptance. I was, like, if this happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I can take care of it. But when I got the email about my financial situation, everything was, like, cleared up and whatnot. I was just, like, holy shit. Like, dude really works. So he came through. And I gave him a full plate of Sara Lee pound cake and red flowers. I don't drink anymore. (laughs) And I was trying to figure out like, okay, how do I, because I was going to offer him wine as well. I forgot to buy the wine when I went to the store, because I just don't think about buying alcohol anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had my sweetie go and pick up, because he was like getting off work and he ran and like picked up a bottle of wine for me. But I just wanted a single serving of wine to like Mm -hmm. crack open, because you can buy those. And instead, my partner bought a whole bottle of wine. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. So I was like, all right, we got to pour out a glass and just, like, pour the rest down the drain. And um, instead, what I did, because I couldn't find my bottle opener. Mm. I don't know where it's at. I just set the whole bottle of wine on his altar. And I'm like, yeah, bud, you can just have the whole bottle. Yep. Um, so that worked. But yeah, St. Expedite is, is just utterly incredible. It was a miracle. It was miraculous. And if you are looking to have something expedited or you're in an emergency, I highly recommend working with St. Expedite. He's very easy to work with and like direct to the point, gets it done. Mm -hmm. And the main thing with St. Expedite is to like, you make the bargain, you follow through on the process. Because if you don't, very often he can take away what was given to you. Mm -hmm. So that's been my experience and it was really cool. Like I've never, this is my first time working with a saint and to just have it like boom, boom, boom come through. It was incredible. So that's what I had to share. (laughs)
0: That is so wonderful. And I think that that's really important too for a lot of our listeners to hear about is they're always worried about kind of offerings and and we're going to kind of get into that with today's topic as well as, as offerings. But people don't realize that public... God, I, the word is not proselytizing, but like, you, you know, go, going out in public and and saying, you know, the saint helped me and, you know, spreading the word, spreading their name and things like that is often an offering. So in a lot of cultures, um, when a saint will come through, people will like throw parties for them as an offering or or throw parties in order to try and get them to come through um, for something or another. So that kind of in public recognition of something that the saints have done for you uh, is, is often really, really well received by them now of course some of the saints are more shy other ones are like yeah you better tell people about me um okay. <laughs> which just good um today actually when where we're when we are recording today is september 29th um which is also known as michael mass or um saint michael's feast day and so cool. while we're here i'm gonna give a shout out to saint michael who has actually been very instrumental um in helping me through a lot of things and providing a lot of miracles And I think right now just simply doing a lot of work to help change the world because there's been I feel like so much injustice happening that he's been really, really getting after it this last couple of years. And I remember specifically um, this time last year, he was very, very intense about it. So we'll see. I'm going to I'm going to do a little thing for him later today and uh, shout out to the saints, y'all.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Do your saint work if you're interested in, um, there's some really great books that you can find on Amazon about St. Expedite and how to work with him in a folk magic, from a folk magic perspective, some super cool books and lots of like really good, helpful, practical advice. So yeah.
0: The other day I found Hadean Press, I think is how you say it. And they're a small publisher um, that does really cool little like pamphlet size things on different saints um, from a folk magic perspective. They have like St. Michael, they have St. Martha. They have um, they even have folk saints like Jesus Malverde. There's also ones on like Papa Legba and St. Expedite and and all these things. So mm-hmm. definitely check those out if you're looking for other other stuff for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really also I find like working with saints is kind of like a good entry point, Um, as well as the topic we're discussing today is a good entry point for like spirit work and whatnot. And like getting your toes wet, your feet wet (laughs) in that realm and whatnot, because they're fairly safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Like saints are fairly safe. Yeah.
0: Yeah, saints are fairly safe. Um, Like everything, you're going to want to be polite and, you know, kind of follow through on, on any deals that you make, because the saints, I think, get a reputation of being purely love and light. And while that is a large portion of it, like everything in magic, saints have two sides to them. So they will help you in a very positive way. They can also affect people in a very negative way. Um, but mm-hmm. as long as you're being polite, they tend to be a very understanding, safe kind of group to approach.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's the sense that I've gotten is that they're pretty safe to approach and whatnot.
0: Well, as long as you're approaching them as the saints, because then, then right. there's different things. There's like, you know, uh, approaching the Orisha um, under the disguise of saints is different. Um, mm-hmm. Than approaching the saints because you in one you're you're approaching an actual saint the other one you're like approaching a an, an ancient spirit from a different place. Um, yes, so, that's there, a really good point. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so yeah, that's,
0: that's, yeah. Thanks that's, that's for you this morning.
1: Yes. So what's new in your world?
0: Just living my my life, my best life. Um, doing. I'm. I'm avoiding the internet for a little while. Um, there's there's just so much that is happening in the witch world. And I, I worry about us sometimes as a community. Um, I don't want to get into this too much, but this does kind of fit in with the topic um, that we're going to be talking about today. But especially when it comes to deities, um, you should not be hearing your deities voice loudly and clearly in your head all day, every day. Um, that's a concern. And in fact, you know, people for thousands of years have, have been trying to get that technology to connect with gods in a manner in which we can ask them questions and receive answers. And we haven't done it. And but recently, especially like in the last few years, I think Lore Olympus may have something to do with it as well, because there's a big uptick in this being kind of within the Greek pantheon, but it's been happening on TikTok, and I'm seeing it spill out into other things where like my coachings or, or other places on the internet where people talk about their deity, speaking to them, like you and I speak to one another, just like all day, every day, like any question that they have, they get an answer for it. And the deity is asking them for things and telling them to go do things. And they're hearing this voice in their head. That's not normal. And I'm, a little concerned about that. So, if you have voices in your head that are telling you to do things, and they're telling you that they are Persephone or or the Ida or Isis from the Egyptian pantheon or whatever it is, um, I'm going to need you to pump the brakes on that and think sure. that through um, a little bit because I have had some really interesting. Stories come to me lately um, about Greek gods that are getting people into high school drama. Um, other spirits that are asking for very strange things that don't seem um, good. And so, if you are, if 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 a deity is speaking to you this clearly, you are either the chosen one, or you are having a mental health crisis, or there is also a concern of you are speaking to something that is not a deity. Um, you can have a hungry ghost that is asking you to bring it things. Um, so just, just, you know, think on it, pump the brakes on it, go outside, do something that's not magical for a little while. Um, and if you do feel like you are having a mental health crisis, please seek help, um, around that because hearing voices in the head and then normalizing that as something that should be happening to you. Um, concerns me
1: that's definitely concerning and that really reminds me of I think it was like the time period of um, like 2008 2009 I saw an uptick because at the time I was practicing Hellenic polytheism Mm -hmm. and I noticed strongly in the Hellenic polytheistic community there was like people who are God bothered Mm -hmm. is a way of putting it and they were like Getting married to their gods and like, etc. I know, and I was just like, <laughs> it's it's a little concerning how far some of the stuff that you know, pe- that people took and like mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I hear that too. I've noticed that on TikTok as well. I've kind of dipped out of TikTok, but I have noticed like very young people having like, I mean, it very well could be a true experience, but like just taking it a little too far. Like you said, like your deity should not be speaking to you 24 seven all the time with like do telling you to do things and whatnot. Um, And like in my deity work, they're very elusive in my experience. You know, they've got, they got shit to do. They're not going to be paying attention to you 24 Mm seven and like whispering your, in your ear all the time, unless you are the chosen one. (laughs) <laughs> which
0: I'm sure a lot of people believe that they are but I'm, I'm still concerned and like you're saying like yes absolutely sometimes they do come through with a message and sometimes that's a really wonderful profound experience but if you're walking up to your altar and they're like hey how's it going I need you to go out and do this thing um that's a that, that that's a that's a concern um mm-hmm. that's it reminds me of Ellen DeGeneres she used to do or her, her old stand-up. She used to do a bit about the God phone where you'd pick it up and you could speak to God directly. And I'm like, wow, y'all, y'all on TikTok apparently have cracked this one. Cause you guys are just talking with the gods all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, okay. So yeah. we have to y'all long enough. Uh, let's dive into this because it is the season um, for the dead. And so today we're going to talk about ancestors. We all have them. They are wonderful. Um, some of us include them in our practice. It's not mandatory um, to include them in your practice, but if you want to, we're going to talk about kind of how we go about this um, and give you guys some, some tips or, or kind of clear up some frequently asked questions we get about this topic. Um, So to begin, can you tell me, Britain, about your ancestor practice and and maybe one thing that sort of surprised you along the way?
1: Yeah, so I started early in my practice with ancestor work because I was taught that that's kind of like one of the foundational things that you begin with, um, is like honoring your ancestors. So I did it pretty early on. And at the time that I had started my ancestor practice, most of my ancestors were unknown to me. So Mm -hmm. I just erected an altar um, with like a skull to represent the dead and candles and water and whatnot. And would pray to them daily um, and just ask for connection, ask that they, you know, come into my dreams to communicate with me because dreams are like the best avenue of contact for me personally. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that really surprised me was I was in, I don't want to say that I was in a witch war, but I was having, (laughs) I was having a little bit of difficulties with uh, someone in particular and um, they spiritually attacked me through a dream. Mm -hmm. And in that dream um, I had a granny help me. Mm. And she protected me in the dream. And I knew kind of intuitively within the dream that this old granny approached me and helped me. I was like, this is an ancestor. This is a ancestor going way back. And I was just like, really surprised that they came through and that they had my back. So Mm. I knew I had this like a layer of protection that they could catch things for me before it got bad. So they were kind of like an alarm system um, that, you know, was like connected to me and whatnot through Ancestry. So that was kind of like one of the surprising experiences that I had. And the other thing, too, was is when diving into Ancestor work, I would have... you know, they don't like we were talking earlier about deity work. I wouldn't have them just like speaking to me. I would speak to them, you know, in prayer, just like freely as though I was having a conversation to them. But it's I didn't experience it as them being like having a conversation back to me. It was like a lot of body feelings. Yeah. So One thing. Yeah. You know, so one of the things that I experienced was having like um, uh, phantom smells of food or cravings for food that I otherwise would not crave. And it was an indicator of an offering to make to them. So I would get like an overwhelming craving for like chocolate cake, (laughs) you know, and I'd be like, that's not, you know, something that I've been thinking about. So it would just like drop in. And so I knew what to make as an offering to them.
0: Yeah. Love that yeah that's an excellent way to kind of describe it because like sometimes it's like um a feeling of warmth or like um a feeling of understanding or like something like that it's a little less like okay so we're gonna tell you this now <laughs> you know? um so I, I like that you bring that up and i also really love that you bring up the fact that sometimes you don't know who your ancestors are yeah and that is okay when it comes to this work you may not know who they are um and a, a great joy of ancestor work that I have found is the journey of finding out who mm-hmm. they are um, because sometimes it can be surprising and there's a lot of ways to go about it. We now have DNA kits. that will tell you exactly where you're from. Uh, we now have uh, like, I do a lot of my genealogy through ancestry.com where I've uncovered a lot of really exciting things. Um, so yeah, if, if you don't know who your ancestors are, the, journey to find them can be part of your ancestor work and a really beautiful part of it and in the meantime you know you can set up just kind of like an arbitrary thing like you're talking about putting a skull there as a sign of kind of those who have passed on to the other side um lighting some candles and again being very specific about who we're trying to contact, you know, the mm-hmm. ancestors, um, and going forth with that. So I think that's beautiful. I think that's wonderful. My ancestor practice has been has been interesting. Um like all things it goes through phases with me. So what my ancestor practice generally looks like um is I have a special area for them set up on my altar where I have all of their photos. Um I light candles for them there and provide water and offerings um things like that um which is very helpful and we'll talk about offerings a little bit lately but something that surprised me and this is a funny story especially talking about you know sometimes you don't know who your ancestors are um i had the wrong ancestors for like years um oh my
1: goodness <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so,
0: um yeah so my grandma god rest her soul was a woman about town And she had always told us that my grandfather was this very specific person who was my mother's father. Um, Turns out later on through a DNA test that apparently she just picked the one that she wanted to go with as far as the possibilities of who my mother's father could be. So she just picked the one that I, I guess seemed the best at the time. Um and went with it. Uh turns out that it's not my grandfather at all. Um, and I <laughs> had a lot of his lineage, um, kind of which is what I had done the most work on in, in ancestry and things like that to to get all that information um on my ancestor altar. And they were lovely um mm-hmm. people. I had a great time with them, and I did find that they were helpful in the things that I wanted, but my divinations kept being very strange. Where I would ask them things like, you know, um, you know, are, is this really my ancestors that I'm speaking to? And they'd be like, no. And I'd be like, well, shit, am I speaking to some like demon or something that I've accidentally like invited to my ancestor altar? No, I just had the wrong people. (laughs) Oh, no. And so when my mom did her DNA test, it was supposed to say that she was half Mexican and half like Norwegian, which is where this guy came from. It came back as full-blooded, like indigenous Mexican. And she's like, oh no, so this guy is not my father. We we found it someone else completely. And now I have the right ancestors on my altar. But that does happen on occasion. So so that's why we do our research and we
1: double check. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I do too also have, um, my maternal grandmother does not know who her father is. Mm -hmm. and on my father's side my grandmother um lost her mother at a very young age and Mm -hmm. i she this woman is a mystery to me and i don't have any ancestry understanding of her whatsoever um so yeah definitely do your research and i know that like i may be working with ancestors uh, who are not blood but they're within my lineage you know yeah. what I mean? Like they're part of like the chain of ancestry who may not have been connected by blood, but were like a very important part of the family. Like I have an adopted um grandfather. He's not my yeah. grandfather by blood, but by marriage. And so um, you know, he's definitely gonna be on my ancestor altar because he's a part of the family. And the same yeah. goes for another grandmother of mine. There was a divorce and, you know, separation and they both my grandmother and grandfather had married different people. So my granny Vaughn, who I'm not related to by blood, is is highly important. She is an ancestor, even though we're not related by blood.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. And that was kind of one of the things we were gonna talk about later is kind of what if we're not related? And they still count. Mm-hmm. A lot of them yeah. still do. They're part of your family, especially when it comes to queer community. We know kind of the power of chosen family as opposed Mm -hmm. to those that you are blood related to um so that is important and even if you're not blood related to them if they are your ancestor they're your ancestor and that's that's pretty much that on that (laughs) as far as i'm concerned
1: yeah totally agree
0: yeah um so because i know we're going to be asked do you have a favorite book on ancestors or ancestor work or any of that
1: I do. Um, I'm not going to pronounce the author's last name correctly. And maybe you can help me. Um, I'm really bad at this. Uh, and I always feel really bad because I don't want to mispronounce anyone's name because it happens to me a lot. Um, but it's Honoring Your Ancestors, A Guide to Ancestor Veneration by Mallory Foudois.
0: That's how I think you say it. Um, is, is, okay. is Boudoir. It's V. I'm doing this from memory. It's V-A-U-D-O-I-S-E. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes and I,
0: I don't do none of that French stuff, but I believe it's it's mm-hmm.
1: what? Yes. like
0: it's Baudoice or something like
1: that. right. Yeah, that book is utterly amazing. And if you're mm-hmm. going to buy any book on ancestor veneration, I really recommend starting with this book. I got it on audiobook. I really wish I had gotten it in paperback um, because there's just like so much I want to underline. But it's such a practical working and ancestor work, super approachable, very inclusive. And just it's, it warmed my heart to listen to it. It just felt like I was sitting with a good friend and we were chatting about ancestor work like we're doing right here. That's what it felt like. So it's a great book.
0: Well, and it covers so much ground that yes. you would expect it to be a really big book. But it's actually a very short book. It's it's a small little Um, kind of carried around stick it in your bag sort of book so it's very digestible but it really changed a lot of how i approached ancestor work and also helped me to clarify why we did the things that we did or, or why we approach this work the way that we do um is, was really nice. So, so that is actually my pick as well for my favorite ancestor working <laughs> book. So highly recommend it. Check out uh, Mallory. I'm hoping your last name is Voudois because um, that's how we're saying it. But yes, Honoring Your Ancestors is an excellent, excellent book.
1: Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. So if you're looking for a book, that is the one we recommend.
0: Totally. So let's dive right on into this here uh, because we have some stuff to cover, some some big questions. Um, and the first thing that a lot of people ask about when it comes to ancestors, so say, you know, you've set up a little table, you've put out the pictures of your ancestors that you do have. Um, I always do recommend putting out pictures of your ancestors. I find that that really helps to create the link. If you don't have Pictures, you can go forth without them. But as you do find out who your family is, as you talk to your parents, to your grandparents, to your siblings, things like that, and you begin to slowly find photos. Um, I actually found a lot on ancestry.com. While I was doing the genealogy, there would be like a little leaf, and somebody else who was kind of distantly related to me would have uploaded a photo of like my great-great-grandma. Um wow. so you can find a lot of that stuff. And on Ancestry too, I was finding things like um well, turns out these were not my ancestors, but I was finding out really cool things, like um, um, their their check in when they immigrated from like the UK into the United States, like their check in at the place where they docked, and like their signature and like the manifesto of the ship and all that stuff. Like you can find
1: all these things. Um, oh my gosh, that's that's like in like finding their signature is a great link, right? As well. And like census
0: records that say you know where they lived, who was in their household, what they did for work. Um, okay. You can find marriage certificates too, with like their their handwriting on them and stuff. And it's really neat. So all those things can go on your altar, including like objects that they that were very special to them, that you you know used to belong to them, um, things like that. So you, you set up your space, but then the question I always get surrounding is offerings, right? Yes. What what do we what do we give as offerings, and the other question is, does it have to be food? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know so so what kinds of things do you, do you do you offer the ancestors on maybe a regular basis, and then maybe maybe there's special things too?
1: right. Oh my gosh, this is such a huge subject, and I feel like we could spend the rest of the podcast talking about offerings to ancestors right. alone. <laughs> but um, you know, I first off, I start with water and coffee. Um, Mm -hmm. water and coffee are like, you know, main things and coffee for my family, especially I actually discovered in my ancestry that my Dutch ancestors were coffee traders and they imported coffee to the U S yeah. Yeah. It's, it was really interesting. So I I found that I had coffee, like literally in my blood and I was like, well, no wonder I'm a coffee (laughs) fiend. (laughs) Um, so coffee is really important and, um, liquids in general, you know, like teas, um, and things that we make, um, beverages and whatnot. Uh, I do have a lot of alcoholism in my family. So I do stray away from offering alcohol to ancestors who had, who died of alcoholism, because I feel like you're feeding their addiction still, uh, in the afterlife. So that's something that I do avoid. Mm Um, what else? Uh so kind of like what you were saying about knowing about what they did for work back in the day, I mm-hmm. discovered that I had ancestors who were bakers. So doing the act of baking bread mm-hmm. or baking a pastry or a cake or something and making that as an offering is something that's like connected to them and is like a ritual act. So I actually have some sourdough starter going in my kitchen right now. And I'm doing that as a part of my ancestor veneration. Um, So food to me is I come from like a very food oriented family. So that's something that's a cornerstone for me. But beyond that, I also like to um, make offerings of objects. So my mamma loved the colors blue and yellow And she loved to decorate her kitchen uh, with chickens. She liked roosters and hens. So, yeah. So what I've done is I've like, whenever I offer her things, I try to stay within this color theme of like blue and yellow and like getting a rooster or a chicken little statue and like decorating her area in the way that I know she would like it decorated Mm -hmm. and things like that. And like I had my grandfather was a carpenter. So little beautiful wooden objects or even like laying out tools that he may have used mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So those are some of the offerings that I like to make to my ancestors. Uh, what about you?
0: I love that. Now, I do have a question. So when you give them the mm-hmm. objects, do they stay on the altar like forever or, or do you cycle through them or, or how do you handle that?
1: I kind of cycle through them. Like if it's a tool type object, I might leave it there for a little while and then like move to something else. Cause I like to switch up my altar space and like refresh it every now and then. But like when it comes to like the decorative things for like my mammal, uh, I leave them. So it's just kind of like a, I pick and choose what stays, what goes that kind yeah. of thing.
0: Go with the feel of it. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so I like to offer them like if it's something that I'm making by like scratch um I like to offer them things like that so if i'm if I'm cooking like a nice meal or if I'm baking something or things like that, then I like to offer it um a lot of my family comes from the New Mexico territory, and so we make kind of what a lot of people call like Indian tacos or like Navajo tacos or or things like that. So I'll make those. And when I make those, I can feel the ancestors in the other room, like bring this to me. Um, So, so I, I I bring them that, which they really like. Um, And I I think it's important that we talk about that offerings don't always have to be food and and beverage. Um, Mm -hmm. However, there is a certain magic with food and it's, because, you know, I'm very experimental kind of with my spirituality and my work that I do here. And so in theory, they're eating the energy of it. And so for mm-hmm. a long time, I was simply um, like, you know, creating balls of nourishing energy that I would form, you know, myself. And then I would offer it up to the ancestors as just, just going straight to the source and just giving them energy like that. Mm-hmm. And that was great. They They seemed into that sort of for a while. But... When I began actually giving them food, there's something that happens. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that that the act of eating food is such an earthly living person thing that it helps to pull them into our world and anchor them here. Or if it's like in those old fairy tales where if you go to like a different world and you eat their food, then you have to stay there sort of yeah. a thing. Um, so I, I don't I don't know why, but there's something about giving them actual food where I feel their presence really strengthen, especially if I'm giving it on a regular basis, I feel their presence strengthen. Um, and I feel them more and I get more um kind of reaction from them. Um mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So so I'm not sure what exactly is happening with food, but I, I do think that there is kind of a special magic for that. Um but it, it of course doesn't always have to be food. Like you're talking about, it can be items and the items that we give them can also be messages or even the foods that we give them can be messages. So if we want to wake them up and we want to kind of get faster results um, or faster response, then we would give them something like coffee um, yeah. or if we're doing like a love spell, we may put really beautiful roses on their altar, um, to try and like send them a signal that we need sort of help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even giving them objects too, in order to perform some sort of spiritual activity. So like you can give them tools, like, um, you can give them a hammer to help you build the life that you want to live. Um, I've given spirits weapons before um yeah spirits like a machete and i'm like you do what you need to do (laughs) um so there, there there's a lot that you can give them and i like that um in mallory's book she talks about giving them like little body parts too like um giving them like a like a little model of lips if you want them to like speak to you more or um, you know, hands if you want them to help you create something or mm. things like that. It seems a little weird, but I do like this idea.
1: That's really interesting. I like that idea too. Um, right. Yeah, if you like, you want them to talk to you more to like yeah. have like a mouth or something, which you can buy like, I think through Madame Pamita's Parlor of Wonders, she has like a candle for literally everything. And right. I do remember that that she has a, a lips candle. Right. Um yeah that's a really cool idea,
0: yeah I like that um but then how often do we do we give offerings? Are you like an everyday person or
1: you know I like to refresh the water like every other day and i can I'm like looking at a photo of my mammal right now and I can feel her rolling her eyes because I haven't refreshed her water in like <laughs> a- like it's been almost a week um <laughs> So I need to get on that. It's just been a super busy week. But, um, you know, I do offerings like once a week. Um, I try to refresh water every other day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then about once or twice a month, I do share part of a meal with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And especially like during this season, spooky season, the veil is thinning. I like to do it more frequently um, because I feel like there's more ancestor activity going on. Um, so that's kind of like my um, uh, ritual around giving them offerings. And whatnot.
0: Totally. That makes a lot of sense too. And like, I know that a lot of people are very into this idea of like the water has to be changed every single day. You have to give them offerings every single day. Um, I've never really found that to be super true. And I like to stay away from any sort of spiritual schedule that requires you to do something every single day, just because mm-hmm. I don't feel it's realistic. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think I think feeding them like once a week, changing the water every couple of days. And of course, this depends on your tradition as well. So if, if you're following an ancestor tradition, um, do do what they say, not what we say, because because certain certain times have have or certain paths have certain rules. I've also read in different paths, too, that you're supposed to leave the water until it becomes like white and cloudy, um, Cause that's like a sign of, of their presence or something. And I, Oh. but I also think it kind of depends on what part of the world that you're in, what your source for the water is that things like that will happen. Um, mm-hmm. Like I've also been told too, that like, Oh, you can tell if your spirits liked your offerings or not, because the food offerings that you give them that they liked will simply just dry up and they won't mold. But the ones that they don't like will mold. But I'm like, all the people I saw talking about that all lived in very hot, dry climates. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but if you live in a place like Hawaii or Florida, that's like super humid, that shit is probably going to mold. Yeah. Like VHS tapes mold over there. (laughs) Like, It's not seriously. I grew up in, in, well, I grew up part-time on the big Island of Hawaii and your, your VHS tapes, you would have to take special care of them because they would mold um, with all the humidity. Uh, So it's, I, I don't think it's it's that easy to tell, um. right?
1: There's also the equation of pests, you know. Um, so I left out uh, staying with my blue and yellow theme with my mama. I left her a lemon donut with blueberries on top, oh. and I got fruit flies after a couple of days. You know what I mean? So it's like okay. I like to leave my food offerings out for um a day or two. I think mm-hmm. that's like a good enough amount of time. If it's like something super sweet, like chocolate cake, you can leave it for a little bit longer because the sugar acts as kind of like a preservative and it doesn't go as bad as fast. Um, But when it comes to like, you know, I made a soup offering recently. I only leave that out for like a day because it's just
0: too, too liquid, too perishable. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a simple way to go about it. And I, I always tell people to, to, Treat the ancestors as if though they, in any spirit, whether you're like, you know, speaking with a ghost or whatever, like they are a living person. And so, you know, you're, you're not just going to leave a stanky, you know, plate with them. You're going to take it. You're going to do something with it, which mm-hmm. kind of brings me to our, our next part is, is how do you dispose of your offerings, especially like food offerings when, when they're done with them? Do you, do you have a s- specific way of going about this?
1: I want to give you a cheeky response that I know that you would be like, what the hell? I take it in the backyard and I bury it. <laughs> no, I don't. Because <laughs> I I love your one of your quotes. It's like if you have Aunt Brenda over for dinner, you don't take her leftovers and bury it in the backyard because that's weird. <laughs>
0: that's weird. That's super crazy.
1: Really weird, y'all. Um, really? I throw it in the trash. Or yeah.
0: in the compost. Yep. Just be normal, y'all. Be normal. Um, and same thing, too. Like, if I if I give Aunt Brenda a glass of water, she doesn't keep the glass forever. Like, And that's yes. the thing that I see people talk about a lot, that they're like, well, once you give them an offering in a glass, and that glass is theirs forever. And I'm like, is it? Because that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. However, if you do, like, purchase them a special glass and are like, this glass is for you, well, then, yes, then it is. Um, yeah. but if you're like hey y'all would you like a glass of water um that's that's different so and again if you're if your specific tradition or lineage says anything different follow that but i think we can relax once you know your ancestors are finished with whatever it is that you've given them you can throw it in the trash um because they're done with it and mm-hmm. you cherishing their leftovers it just gets weird after a while
1: It really does. And, you know, I got to say, that's one of the biggest questions I receive is like how to dispose of offerings and whatnot. And it's just like compost or trash, super simple. Yep.
0: And you can do so reverently, like thank you food for being this wonderful offering to my ancestors and slide it into the trash. You don't have to just like yeet it from your house, but you know, you, you can just be, just be reverent with it a little bit. Um, And I think this plays into, I'm going to skip down here a little bit for time's sake, uh, kind of the next section of kind of ancestor taboos. Because this idea, because sometimes you'll be in a group full of people and you say something about throwing the, the offerings away and people will gasp and tell you that the ancestors hate you and that they're coming to get you and all of this stuff. It's considered very taboo. And so I think we should kind of discuss Ancestor taboos—things that we get told a lot not to do. Um, things that we're told that if we do them, then our ancestors will run away. Um, so, where where should we start with this? Do you think? What, what's one that you?
1: Well, t- uh, two of them, but I'll just start with one for now. Is is having living people on your ancestor altar, like photos of them? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like if there's a photo of my mama and my dad, I don't have my dad on my ancestor altar. he's still living. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. Um, so that's just one thing. It just feels really weird. You know what I mean? Cause it's like mm. an altar for the dead. So what, you know, why would you put a living person on there? And yeah. I've heard, and I think you shared this with me is that it, it's thought that it could bring them a speedy death, um, yeah. and whatnot. So it's just sort of, that's one of the taboos that I, I follow, Mm -hmm. Uh, with my ancestors yeah
0: yeah that's one that i follow a lot too um is is just and i find a lot of time is it's unnecessary and you can absolutely just like make a copy of a photo cut out the person that you are especially if the only photos you have of them are in groups Mm -hmm. you know you can you can kind of make a copy cut them out frame that if you want or kind of put it on the altar as you see fit um until you can find another one but i I do like to stay away from having living people on the ancestor altar. Um, It, it, it just concerns me a little bit because it's the land of the dead. And then you're like, great, I'm going to put this person in the land of the dead. Um, There's, And spirit often speaks in symbols. That's what a lot of witchcraft is, is speaking to spirit through the symbols that we are enacting through the spell. Mm -hmm. And so if we're just like, hey, spirit, I'm taking this person and putting them with the dead folk, um, I I think occasionally that can be a thing. Now, I do think that there are always exceptions to this rule. So for instance, if I had a family member that was very sick, I might put their picture on the ancestor altar temporarily um, and ask them to heal that person um, and kind of do work at the ancestor altar. Absolutely. Um, kind of cause in that way, I'm like bringing them to them and kind of like, Hey, I need your help with this versus just like, yeah, putting uncle Jim in with the dead folk. Like, I, I, I think that's different.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree. So what's, uh, another taboo?
0: One that I see a lot that, that kind of cracks me up, um, is that, Salt should go nowhere near your ancestor altar, and that if salt goes anywhere near it, that it will repel them and they'll be and they'll leave forever. Um, and I think where a lot of this comes from because I see things like this every so often. Um, people will post things too, like, Oh, like if you use too much sage, you're going to sage your ancestors away, or like blah blah blah, because people are mixing up a Spirit that has crossed over to the other side with a ghost. Those are two different things. Um, mm-hmm. And kind of what separates them is this crossing over portion to the other side. Whereas a ghost will be someone who has died and stayed here versus someone who has gone on to the next place, which is where the ancestors are. These are two very different things. Ghosts and ancestors are not are not the same. Um, or at least... They're not supposed to be. (laughs) If you have an an ancestor that is stuck on this side, then they need help to go over and join the rest of the ancestors. And you can do that work. Um, But the ancestors that are hanging around are not ghosts. Um, And ghosts, those ones who are stuck here, earthbound human spirits are repelled by things like ghosts or certain um, cleansing herbs will send them away. And so if whatever you are speaking with at your altar (laughs) um, is you know, fleas at salt or, you know, let's say sage smoke or whatever, that's probably not your ancestors. Though, of course, every tradition is going to have their own taboos for this. So like I said 15 times during this, if if your lineage says something different, fine, go with that. But um, actually in Mexican culture on Day of the Dead, it is um, often tradition to put a little dish of salt on the ofrenda. Um, because it is to keep away the other spirits that may come and try and take part in, in the, um, in the offerings, but a spirit that's on the other side, one that is crossed through the light, isn't going to be chased away by sage smoke because there is no reason for it to be. And they're also not going to be repelled by, by salt. They are not kind of like in our plane. They're in a different plane, kind of watching us through like, let's say a window, um, and, and so that that's very different. They're they're not susceptible to those things. Um, so I often do keep things like, you know, uh, cleansing, incense, salt, things like that around the Ancestor altar to make sure that nothing else comes in and makes a home mm-hmm. there because this is a place where you're putting a lot of offerings and other things that are hungry are going to see that and try and kind of take part in it. Um, so I, I, I... Salt is fine. And I've seen people too go as far as to say like the food that you make for them shouldn't have salt in it. And I'm like, first of all, that salt is going to break down (laughs) in the food. I'm like, second of all, the ancestors deserve flavor.
1: (laughs) Yes, they do. Gosh, I really appreciate your perspective on that because I've heard so much about salt and how it's so taboo and whatnot. And um, so I, quick story, have this uh, salt gun for killing (laughs) flies And, um, it's really amazing. And I was here in my work and altar room and I had flies in the house and I was shooting them and I got, I accidentally kind of shot in the direction of the photo of my mammal. And I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) So I cleaned it up, but I was also like, you know, a little salt spray shouldn't kick my mamma out the house. You know what I mean? Like she's connected to me in a deeper way than a little salt shouldn't get between us. So I just like swept it up and whatnot. But yeah, I really appreciate your perspective. It feels like you really cleared up a lot of confusion around that.
0: Absolutely. And it's just like, it's it's sort of like when people talk about blowing out your candle will destroy your spell or whatever. It's like, okay, if your ancestors are chased away by a little bit of incense, you have a bigger problem that's not that's that's not how this is supposed to go um now i think we should go into kind of some common questions because we these are the questions that i feel come up the most whenever ancestor work is brought up these these are the questions you can always count on and the first one is what if i'm adopted which ancestors do I work with? And this extends beyond you too, because, like, for instance, part of why I had confusion was because my mother is adopted, and so that that sort of break in the family lineage can be weird to traverse when it comes to ancestor work. Mm-hmm. Have you run into anything like this?
1: Well, I, there's no a. Ad- adoption that I know of within my family so it's not an area or realm that I'm well versed in but it Mm -hmm. kind of like is connected to like that chosen family idea Mm -hmm. um they are still part of like familial lineage and we can Mm -hmm. still be really connected to them so you know for example like my granny vaughn um she is like I would consider her like an adopted grandmother and I her adopted Mm -hmm. granddaughter Um, because she took me in, like she influenced me so much. And um, I venerate her as an ancestor and her family members as well. They're part of my family. So I think it's like totally doable and whatnot. And at the same time, you can still do a DNA test to find out your origins um, because, and then like connect on a cultural level with like, you know, so you have Celtic Germanic and I don't know, uh, Coptic Egyptian. That's what I found out. I had like Coptic <laughs> Egyptian in my ancestry. So, um, you know, I think like the DNA test can be helpful, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like my two cents. Um, but it sounds like you have some experience with the adoption role
0: yeah I absolutely agree with kind of everything they're saying because it does fall into this category of of chosen family. And I think that you can choose to work either with your bloodline or your adopted line um, or you can absolutely blend them. You know, mm. you may and we have to remember too that this is a two- way street. You may go to you know, the ancestors on your adopted side and they may be kind of lukewarm about you. And that's fine. That's okay you know, go over to the other side, see what they have to say. And I'm very pro having a mixed altar. That's like, Mm. look, these are my bloodline that make up who I am, like physically, you know, my body is made up of all of these people. Um, But at the same time, I feel like we can have teachers or people who have impacted us in a way, friends, chosen family, things like that, where we carry them with us inside of ourselves, and they sort of make up part of who we are. Um, and I really feel like that can still be an ancestor, um, and and that can be someone too that either we've had real face to face experience with, or it could also be someone like um like an author who who wrote a book that just deeply changed who you are as a person, and so you carry them with you um, every day. This that can be part of it as well. So I don't want anyone who um maybe adopted or has an adopted child or whatever to freak out that their ancestors will never want them. Um, that's something that people have fear, fear about. And and that's mm-hmm. not true. You may just simply need to kind of introduce yourself to your, your blood family um, and bring over your adopted family and they can intermix and get to know one another as well. Um, because your adopted family too is important to your blood family because they're who you were entrusted to when, you know, mm-hmm. blood family couldn't do it. Um, so there's, there's kind of a lot to unpack there. But I think if you're adopted, that it's fine, that we can, even if we're not adopted too, sometimes our chosen family is what makes up our ancestor altar, and that's absolutely okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And there was one thing I wanted to touch on real quick um, that uh, I think could also be considered. Like if, you know, a lot of folks that I've come in contact with, like they're like, yeah, I have like, I have ancestors, but I have no idea who they are. It kind of like, mm-hmm. it stops at me. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing to consider too is like trades or crafts. Like, mm-hmm. let's just say you're a weaver or you're like a basket weaver. You're in a lineage of tradition that has been passed down from person to person, person. So it's like, if you have a teacher that you rely upon, it's like they had a teacher and they had a teacher. And that's like, to me, in my personal experience, an ancestral tradition uh, that has been passed on to you and that you can connect with those folks as well as a mm-hmm. part of your craft or you know like for example you and i are writers so it's like i connect to other deceased mm-hmm. writers to help support me in my work so that's just like another avenue of like ancestor veneration
0: totally and i keep um deceased author um books on my writing desk with me hopes that it helps so i'll have like a a shirley jackson or an agatha christie or a michelle mcnamara book um if depending on what it is that i'm working on that day and I, i i don't know if it really helps but i would like to think that it helps um and I'm kind of constructing a little bit of like a writer's altar on top of, cause I have this old roll top desk that I do all my writing at. Um, oh, nice. so I'm going to make like little like Michelle McNamara and Agatha Christie, like um, little Novena candles and stuff and, and go
1: forth with that. So very cool. I love that idea. Yeah.
0: Just remember too, if, if you're, if you're doing, going kind of like the famous people route or like kind of that sort of lineage um, to pick people who, we're fairly stable in life because sometimes um, their personality can also have an effect on us. So, especially where, like, say, if you're a musician and you're like, oh God, like this person was such a genius, but they also they were an absolute mess in real life. Like, I mean, I'm not looking directly at Amy Winehouse, but we're just, you know, gonna, gonna go in that direction a little bit. Maybe that's not the best person to team up with, especially if you're maybe struggling with something like an addiction yeah uh, you know Kurt Cobain may not be the best person to invite into your home <laughs> like you know yeah uh, so 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 just you know use the old noodle machine and 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 choose as you see fit um uh, but just take that into consideration a little bit now, the other one, and this one cracks me up so much because people are cancelling the ancestors now. Um, so what if your ancestors were problematic? What if they were racists? What if they were, um, slave owners? What if they, um, I don't know, what, what, what if the ancestors were problematic? How do, how do we, how do we approach this?
1: You know, I'm still figuring that out myself because I have some very problematic ancestors in my past. And I talked to a really good friend of mine about this recently because I, I was exploring this within myself and it was just like, yeah, what about my great, great grandmother who was highly problematic and uh, what to do about her. And my friend made the suggestion cause she was like also kind of going through this as well. Kind of like, okay, what do we do about them and whatnot? And she was saying like, when they pass on to the other side, they transform. And it's not to say that they're completely absolved of all of their, Mm -hmm. their shit. Um, But there's like an elevation that, could potentially happen and perhaps they come to the realization um, that they were problematic and maybe they're making their amends in their own way. I hope that makes sense. I yeah. mean, I I can't know for sure because we just don't know what's on the other side until we get there. Um, but I think that there is like a transcendence that happens for mm-hmm. the ancestors and whatnot. So That's kind of what I feel. And I think it's also responsible on our part as the um, living to carry on the work of making amends and having living amends um, to not perpetuate destructive, harmful behaviors. And Mm -hmm. that that can be part of the healing process is to not spiritually bypass that shit and like face it and be like, okay, this is the reality and like taking care of it.
0: So. Yes, I think that's so important to actually do kind of like that alchemy of, of turning that hurt into something positive or healing it or, or, or doing some sort of transformation on it. I think that's so important because like as you're talking about, sometimes on the other side, once they have that different view, they realize what they've done. And I've actually had very problematic ancestors kind of show up very strongly in a very positive manner because they're trying to fix what it was that they did in life by being helpful here now. Redemption is a thing that exists. And if we just go, nope, you you born in 1880 do not live up to modern standards of wokeness. I'm going to now ignore you. No healing can happen. No healing happens for you. No healing happens for them and no healing happens for your family. Yep. So we need to be open to letting them fix their mistakes from the other side, because not only will that heal them, but it will heal you and it will heal your entire family. Now, that is not to say, though, that if you had an Uncle Fred who was a massive serial killer, um, that's that's maybe a different story. That's maybe an energy that you do not want to invite in. Um, in which case, we're just going to simply, you know... If, if you have a problematic ancestor that keeps trying to show up um, and there's someone like that that you're like, oh, no, this is just dark energy, you can ask your other ancestors to deal with them. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of advice going around online, like you should do a, a binding spell on your ancestor. And I'm like, that's not how any of this works. Um, <laughs> just ask your other ancestors to deal with them. But I think we need to remember that redemption is a thing. And sometimes redemption is hard. And it takes some work and it takes some processing, but it is worth it because that's what we are here to do. First and foremost, when it comes to ancestor work is we are here to help the ancestors. And by helping them, we help ourselves.
1: Yeah, you know, it's almost like they were once living people and maybe they fucked up a couple of times.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So I think that that is... Kind of a beautiful note to end on here that we all have room for redemption, even after death. Um, So keep that in mind while working with your ancestors this spooky season. And remember,
1: do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.